Hi, it's Chris Watkin, and I'm joined by Daniel Harrington, who is the Global Growth Director for the Fine and Country Network. Thanks for joining me today, Daniel. Talk to me about premium estate agency versus other premium brands in other industries and, and what estate agents could learn from it. Talk to me. Thank you. So, so, so yes, we, we were talking earlier about agents having difficulty competing when they're competing on valuation, price and fee, and how that can create a downward spiral. In some sense, fine and country and other agents operating in the premium space are quite, are quite lucky because as soon as you broach a certain price point, actually, and from a personal point of view, fine and country, we're not looking at what other agents are doing. We're actually looking at what the other industries our clients interact with are doing and the other premium industries. We're, we're, we're more interested in looking at Range Rover, Boodles, okay. Waitrose, Virgin Atlantic okay. Upper Class. Sorry, I just I must admit, I thought just Fine and Country was just a black and gold with a nice logo in a nice font. Is that not what it's all about? Uh, I do, that is a cheekiness. That, I'm being naughty. You can be cheeky. Uh, we wouldn't be growing at the rate we're growing. Of course you won't. If we were just a, a hollow logo. So I'll smack you for that later. Okay, then. But, uh, but no, I don't think that way. But I've got, of I've course, got yeah, challenge, challenge away. Um, look. What, come on, what could, what could us premium estate agents learn from other industries who are also in the premium market? That, well, let's use an awful car analogy. Let's walk into Range Rover. Yes. And we'll spec out a very nice new Range Rover. Uh, we'll spec it out with the HSC, Autobiography, Black Pack, R-Dynamic, whatever. I, I lose track of all these different options. Well, they start at 90 grand for the big one, for full fat yep. motion, so and then that's up to 150. We'll go along wheelbase, so it's 160. But... But you build that, whether you do it in the, uh, in the showroom or you do it online, and a price would call £120,000. That chops up. If you go back to Range Rover and say, I'll give you 80 grand cash for it, what are they going to say? I'll tell you to bugger off. I'll tell you to bugger off. And they'll say, well, 80 grand, well, you can have this one, or we've got a PX at the back that you can have. Now, they are trading on a value proposition yes. combined with a brand. And I, I like to think of it, and it's, it, I, I'm not qualified in marketing. I work for a marketing company, but I'm not qualified in any way. But if you wrap a brand around a value proposition, to a, that's very engaging for an affluent or high net worth customer. Because when they do touch any other industry, premium industry, they don't fill their shopping trolley at Waitrose, get to the checkout and say, I'll give you half of that for it. They'll say, take half out of the basket, you know. They are, they, essentially what it is, they, they make their purchasing decisions decisions based on value rather than cost does that make sense mm. so so they don't mind spending it as long as they're getting value they have to have value and and and, and that value could be service it could be communication yeah. it could be an exclusive product and, and do you think agents who are not in the upper quartile could learn from that so if they're in the middle market that they if they are selling four-bedroom modern detached houses, mm. which is not normally upper quartile stuff, that they could learn from that with regard to the service they provide? Service is key. Service and communication are everything. Because, you know, for as much as you can sell a brand, people buy into people, and they, they want to have an enjoyable ride, a journey. Um, you do need to know what people want out of that transaction. So the brand isn't necessarily the logo, 
the brand is, what the service and encapsulates. Yeah, absolutely. The so, value so, that you get from that. Yeah. The, if, if you went to a Volkswagen garage, I, I remember once I got a coffee and I had, a, I had a Golf back in the day. And when they bought me my coffee, they'd sprinkled the chocolate on the top through a Volkswagen logo cut out. So the, there was a VW logo <laughs> on the top. Little things like that have no value. No actual, you can't count it, you can't no. bank it. But I, I, show, I must have shown about 20 people over the following year that because it just was something different. And I, the fact they brought me a coffee was nice. Um, it's, it's, it's the intangible sometimes that, that, that create a value proposition. Uh, How can agents do that if people don't walk into branches anymore? Well, Social media and... Value proposition is built from first, first impression. If your first impression is poor, that's going to set the context. The, without going into two hours of back and forth thing, the critical thing that, in the, from a UK perspective, where we're talking at the moment, is that the clients are perceiving agents as commoditized and that they'll differentiate themselves on valuation price up, fee down. If you can change the context of the conversation, so I don't think it should be called a valuation or a market appraisal. In, 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 in my world, at Finding Country, we call it a marketing consultation. But I don't want to talk about Finding Country here. What we need to do as an industry is re-educate the customers to ask the right questions and to make a decision based around what they're going to net out of the transaction. But, but Bill, who lives in Stowmarket, can't yeah. change the market. How does Bill in Stowmarket change the vendor's perception? Is that just one vendor at a time, on the sofa, social media, stuff like that, content marketing? So. There are so many different channels that you can reach someone, and it depends whether the person's on the market or is passive potential vendor. But what you should always be thinking on your lead generation strategy, it needs to come down to how are you going to differentiate based around what the client achieves, not whether they sell or not. It's not about valuing. It's not about listing. It's not about selling. It's about getting that property the best price. And actually, we talk about selling lifestyle. If you can get even at 400,000, another 15,000 pounds, leverage through a mortgage, that's another bedroom, that's another half acre, that could be a study or a double garage that's detached. That's what we as an industry should be selling that customer, not that we will value your property. And it's a great way of thinking about it, isn't it? The fact is that you're an extra 15 grand could get an extra bedroom. Yeah. So instead of saying, I'll get you 10 grand, you come with me and I'll get you an extra bedroom. Yeah, well, 10 grand may not be enough of a bedroom, but leverage that through a mortgage yes. and suddenly, you, you know, I'm trying, I'm a bit That's very clever, if you don't mind me saying. Because at the high end, it's a factor different. You get another couple of hundred thousand, that's a tennis court and a swimming pool and another five acres. And actually what we sell, depending on the client, obviously you have to know the client's motivation right. before you start recommending them anything. But that's the lifestyle element that you can sell. If you're, if you're not a numbers figure and you, you speak to a client who works as a CEO and you say, what, what matters to you is what you're going to net out of the transaction. Our fee will be four times that of the competition, but after the transaction is completed, you'll still be £200,000 better off. That's an understandable conversation. If you're talking to a couple that are downsizing, net transaction is not necessarily going to gain any weight. So you might talk about well, if we can get you another £100,000 or £200,000 or £20,000, regardless of what think, and you're looking to downsize to offload money to your children and inheritance, well, that extra twenty grand is five grand to each of your grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And that should be the conversation. But changing the context of the conversation is the hardest thing. And that's done 
you've got to have a value proposition from the first point of contact. And when I say first impression, that could be reactive or proactive. But it, it, it ultimately, and, and what we do at Finding Country, we have the best agents joining us. We wouldn't deign to give them agency training. Where my team and, and Finding Country helps is, is actually helping them change their mindset to produce a value proposition as opposed to a cost and valuation proposition. You're not training them, not, you're probably developing them, but you're actually make, changing the way they think, which is their we, mindset. That, that, we, we, we train them, and it's not training, but we, we educate Develop them on how best to deal with high net worth customers and what to do differently. And that's where I think a lot of finer country success comes from, because we are actually offering wealthy people a value proposition that they can afford. And we are more like the other premium industries that they interact with than we are, than we are with the rest of our brethren in our industry in the UK. Thank you for your time today, Thank Daniel. You.